Hey, it's Scott, and guess what? You're about to hear an ad, and that's both good and bad. It's good because ads are what make it possible for me to keep bringing you these episodes, and it's bad because, well, maybe you don't like listening to ads, and I get that. And the good news is, you don't have to. When you sign up to support the show, you get every single episode without any ads. Plus, you get all the bonus episodes. Yeah, did you know there are actually bonus episodes? And you can try it all for free just to see what it's like. If you're on an iPhone, just go to the What Was That Like podcast and at the top, click on Try Free and you're in. On Android, just go to whatwasthatlike.com slash plus and try it out completely free. Once you've had the ad-free experience, you'll see why hundreds of other listeners are already doing it. But for now, here's another ad and then on with today's episode. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club, a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time, or just relax to a good book, listen to The Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club, Tune into the Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to the Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. I'll confess, sometimes I let my podcast playlist get out of hand and I get way behind but there's one show that I subscribe to and any new episode goes right to the top of the queue. That's the Jordan Harbinger show. That's because I never have to figure out, okay, is this one going to be interesting or do I wait for the next one like I do for some shows? Because Jordan's conversations are always a must listen for me. He talks to fascinating people from any category you can think of. Authors, scientists, athletes, you name it. He's talked to undercover cops who posed as mafia and the actual career mafia hitmen. And the stories he gets out of these people, just incredible. In one episode, he talked to Paul Holes. You might know that name if you're into true crime. He's the former investigator who uses really advanced methods to solve cold cases, including the Golden State Killer. And another one I really enjoyed was with Sam Harris, an author and neuroscientist who promotes skepticism and he doesn't mind taking on some seriously controversial topics like politics or religion. That one's going to make you think. Whenever a new episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show pops up, I already know it's going to be an episode that I'll enjoy listening to, and I'll bet you will too. For some episode recommendations, check out jordanharbinger.com start, or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. What Was That Like contains adult language and content and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to What Was That Like? I'm your host, Scott Johnson. This is a show where we talk to regular people, people just like you or just like me, who have found themselves in an extremely unusual situation. We'll hear their stories and get inside their head because we all want to know, what was that like? More information about each episode at whatwasthatlike.com. Here we go. I know. Right now, you might be thinking, what's going on? Because today's Friday, but it's not a new podcast release Friday. There's a new episode of What Was That Like every other Friday. So what am I doing in your podcast player today? Well, I'm here to introduce you to another podcast. It's called This Is Actually Happening. And when you hear that, you might be saying, hey, I listen to that show. I love that show. Or you might be saying, hmm, never heard of it. Well, today you're going to hear of it, and you'll even hear one of the episodes from that show. Here's what I find unique 
about this is actually happening. It's the only podcast I've listened to that is the most similar to What Was That Like? The host, Wit Misseldine, finds people who've been through something and he has them come on and tell their story. But it's in a different style, and that's what makes this show unique. I think you'll like it. Wit and I connected recently, and we decided to introduce our listeners to each other's show. For my show, when I first started, I made a list of some of the stories I wanted to hear people tell. And one of those was, I wanted to hear from someone who has been struck by lightning. And I actually did come across a few stories, but the problem was, when someone gets struck by lightning, they're usually knocked out and they're unconscious for a while, sometimes a long while. And when they wake up, they might not even remember what happened. So it's not usually much of a story for them to tell. But the story you're about to hear is indeed about someone being struck by lightning. And it's a very gripping story. And it comes from a different perspective. It's exactly the kind of story I do on this show. So I hope you enjoy it. You can find This Is Actually Happening on any podcast app or at the website permatemp.org. That's P-E-R-M-A-T-E-M-P dot org. And let me know what you think about this off-week episode. You can join the discussion in our private Facebook group at whatwasthatlike.com slash Facebook. And I'll be back next week with the next regularly scheduled episode of What Was That Like? See you then. Welcome to the Permatemp Corporation, a presentation of the audio podcast, This Is Actually Happening. Episode 94. What if the worst thing that could ever happen to you already had? My son was born when I was not quite 17 years old. I had a relationship with an older man who, looking back, I can't say that he took advantage of me. It was pretty mutual. But my son was a result of that. And once my son was born, he was completely out of the picture. I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania, lived in the same house until I was 20 years old. Typical childhood, I suppose. I had a single mom. My father passed away when I was not quite three years old. He was a coal miner, and he had black lung as well as prostate cancer. When my son was born, there were, I believe it was six girls in my high school who had babies that year. And I was the only one that didn't quit school. I did take off the year of school when he was born, but then I went back to school the next fall and ended up graduating that year. This was around 1980, um, and it was just expected that if you were a young girl who had a baby, your life was over. And I confess they never um, included me in those conversations about planning for college or a career. My mother was very cooperative with that. She watched my son while I went to school. And that all worked out pretty well. I was allowed to still have something of a social life because I had the advantage of still living with my mother and she was right there and always willing to, you know, stay with my son if I needed to. I was a little girl that was raised on fairy tales. And and the goal was always to find Prince Charming and get married and live happily ever after. My mother was pretty old school, and she thought that it was very necessary for me to get myself out there and date so that I could find a husband. So um, her plan for me to get myself married seemed pretty reasonable, and I ended up actually um, marrying the first person who asked me when I was 20 years old because I thought that's what you were supposed to do. If someone asked, it was obviously the right path to take. I didn't even realize at that point that I had a lot of choice in the matter. My first husband was somebody that I knew from high school, and we had dated off and on throughout high school. And he, he um, right after high school, joined the military, 
but we continued to stay in touch. And it was probably two years after I graduated that he proposed to me. He had continued to come home and visit with me when he had some leave. And although I dated other people, this relationship kept coming back around. So we got married fairly quickly, probably about six weeks after the proposal. And I ended up moving with him and my child in the dead of winter to Maine. And that was the first time that my son had not lived with his grandma. Having had him in the house since he was born, she was very close to him. He was the closest to her of all of her grandchildren. So when we left, it was pretty devastating for her. Ended up being feeling very isolated there. Uh, lost my support network. I was away from all my friends. I didn't have a car. Things got pretty disastrous pretty quickly. We did end up staying married legally for about 10 years, but really were together for about seven. He was a good dad for the years that we were together. I wanted to have a child with him, and we were thrilled when we found out we were going to have a baby, thrilled when my daughter was born. Never considered another one after that, though. I think my son was maybe four or five years old when my friend told him that my current husband was not his real father. I think it was just a casual comment, but he was an extremely bright child, like genius-level IQ, and he did not take that as just an offhand comment. He picked right up on it and wanted to discuss it and needed to know details. My son was an amazing child. He exhibited signs of obsessive compulsive disorder at a very young age, like he was a child who had to line up his toys. Everything had to be in perfect straight lines. Everything had to be arranged and sorted. And it turns out that some years later, when he was, I believe he was around nine years old, he started to turn his head very quickly and sniff his shoulder, or he would flick his hand in a certain way. It was apparent fairly quickly after that, that he had Tourette's syndrome. I mean, he didn't have any of those vocal tics that are what people really think about when they hear the term Tourette's syndrome. He didn't swear. He didn't say offensive things. He just had some motor tics with his hands or with his head. He would kind of nod his head very quickly. Or sometimes when you were having a conversation with him, he would just repeat the last word you said. His Tourette's syndrome was really not such a handicap. It was more something that just made him kind of interesting. Some other people in our family, me included, have a neurological disorder where we hear music in our heads all the time. And none of us have it very seriously. There's no one in my family who has to do a ritual to go through a doorway. But my mother could always tell you exactly how many forks and knives and spoons and plates she washed in the after-dinner dishes three weeks ago. She, she was a counter and a checker. My son did, in fact, write a lot. He liked to write fantasy kinds of stories. He was a big video game player. When he was probably 12 years old, he was with a friend at our house one day, and they were having some kind of fantasy role-playing, make-believe conversation game. And he came up with this character that he called Kane McLeod. And Kane was the hero. Kane always made the right choice. Kane always won the battle. Kane always saved the day. And this was a character that stuck with him through the rest of his life. He liked to be called Kane. In fact, most of his friends started to call him that eventually. He made this interlocked K and M symbol that was Kane's initials and 
He drew this symbol different places, and then he started to write stories about Cain McLeod. And Cain had this evil twin named Arcane, and they had to battle for good and evil, etc. And a lot of the poetry that he wrote in school and also recreationally featured this character, Cain McLeod, who was... Who, who was the hero that he felt he wasn't. He didn't always make great choices. He got in trouble sometimes. Cain was this alter ego for him that just could always be good. He was so into that Cain McLeod persona that he actually convinced his teachers in school to call him Cain instead of his real name. It just goes to show not only how immersed he was in this story that he had created for himself, but also how charismatic he was in getting people to do what he wanted. My son talked to me about feeling like an outsider and that nobody liked him and that he didn't have friends. But every day when I would come home from work, there would be four or five boys up in the attic with him. His room was in the attic. We redid the entire attic up there, and and it had video games and multiple bunk beds and it was kind of like a a young teen boy paradise and so a lot of the kids liked to hang out there at our house he had a ton of friends we had this bond this relationship because i had him before i had anything else i didn't have a significant other and then bring him into our family he was first i had him He was my first thing. He was my person before anyone else was my person. I believe my husband and I got formally divorced when he was probably around 12 or 13. We had been separated for a few years already. When I separated from my husband, it was pretty chaotic. He was still living locally. He liked to make a scene. He liked to show up at our house unannounced, even though he didn't live there anymore, which also contributed to my son wanting to distance himself from that person and that behavior. We were still living in the same small town in Pennsylvania when my son was 14 years old. My daughter would have been nine at that time. He had just completed his first year of high school. I was working. I had a boyfriend. Life was just chugging along day by day. We didn't have a lot of money, but we made ends meet and tried to do a lot of fun things. He was very, very interested in video games and often had people at the house playing games with him. He had a relationship with a video store that was in our town where when new games came out, they would hold them for him and let him have them first for as long as he wanted. It was his dream at that time to become a video game designer. And he was doing some work on the computer. At that time, we were working on in, in DOS on computers. Our, we had our very first computer that had a 40 megabyte hard drive. And he was doing some programming of text games where you would read text on the screen and it would give you a choice of what would happen next. So he was showing a lot of promise as as somebody who was on that cutting edge of, of game design, even at his young age. Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read, and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up, and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1 And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully, that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan, because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut with Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com what and use code 25what 
to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1, Daily Symbiotic, at seed.com slash what, code 25 what. I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Oh, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV. And her dishes are made right here in Florida, so I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day. I heat it for a few minutes and enjoy. The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have Cook Unity pick for you, because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com what, or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what, or going to cookunity.com what. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international best-selling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? then it's time to become Mentally Stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. One evening, my son asked me if he could spend the night at his best friend's house. And he asked me, could he have $5 so that he could go to the public pool in our town the next day? And I said, sure, and gave him the $5. And a little while later, he left the house to go to his friends. It was within walking distance. A few hours later, after dark, it was probably about 10 o'clock at night, a huge storm moved through town, and it was, it was this incredible, huge, window-rattling storm. My daughter had already gone to bed, but the storm woke her up, and she came downstairs, and she got in bed with me, and she was frightened, and she had a crush on a boy in her class, and she said, Mom, I'm really worried that really big lightning, what if it hit that boy's house, and what if his house is on fire, and what if he got hurt? And I said to her, don't be silly, it didn't hit his house, that kind of thing doesn't really happen. And as we were curled up in bed there, there was a knock on the door. I can't even define what was different about it, but there was something about this knock. It was insistent. And so I told her to sit tight, and I got up and I went to the front door and opened it, and outside the door were these two teenage boys. They were complete strangers to me. I'd never seen them. And one of the boys said to me, Are you Mrs. my name at the time? And I said yes, and he said something had happened, and it was very important, and they needed me to come with them. I had no idea what they could possibly mean by that. But I said, well, hang on a second. I can't leave my daughter here alone. And I walked to the telephone, and I picked it up, and I dialed my sister. She just lived a few blocks away, and I was going to ask her to come, have someone in her family come and, and take care of my daughter while I went to find out whatever this mystery was. And as I was on the phone, one of the boys said to me, ma'am, 
you don't have time for that. And so I tossed the phone to my daughter and I walked out the door into the rain and I got into this boy's car. He took me from there to my son's best friend's house and right across the street from the best friend's house was our town park. And I could see that there was something going on at the park. There was an ambulance, there was a police car, there were a lot of people milling around. And I saw the police sergeant that I know there at the edge of the park. And I went to her and I said, what's going on? These boys told me that something happened to my son. And she said, don't be silly. This has nothing to do with your son. Now, let me do my job. Just go over there across the street with everyone else. And the neighbors were all trying to figure out what was the situation. Everybody, what, There were probably, I don't know, 20, 25 people standing around on the street there, a lot of whom I knew. And then my sister arrived. She came to find out what on earth might be happening And just after she arrived, the police sergeant came back across the street to me. And she was kind of looking at her shoes and not really looking me in the eye. And she said to me, okay, what was he wearing? And I told her and she said, we're not really sure what happened over there, but witnesses are telling us that lightning struck the big tree there in the park and came out of the tree and hit my son. She said that the ambulance was leaving for the hospital with him right now and that we should go. It's about a 20-minute trip to the local hospital. And once we got there... I knew that my son was in a room a few feet down the hall, and I I couldn't know what was happening, but I believed at that time that my son was dead because I couldn't feel him in the world anymore. My sister says to me that I kept repeating that to her. I can't feel him anymore. Finally, somebody came and spoke to me, and they said, they, they confirmed that he had been struck by lightning. They had no vital signs, but they kept detecting electrical activity, and they weren't very experienced in handling lightning strikes, and they didn't know if that meant that he had some sign of life or, or just what that meant. And eventually the doctor made a decision that it was just residual electricity from the lightning and that he was indeed probably deceased from the moment that it hit him. Finally, this man came into the room and announced that he was the deputy coroner and that he had pronounced my son as deceased by lightning. And then he started to have the most inappropriate conversation with me. He said to me, so I wanted to ask you about that shirt your son's wearing. And I said, what about it? And he said, what exactly does that mean, no more faith? Is that some kind of religious statement? And I thought, is this man trying to insinuate that my son got struck by lightning because of the choice of T-shirt he was wearing made a religious statement? And I said, no, idiot, it's a band. It's called Faith No More. It is not a religious statement. And then he said to me, I was just wondering if you might like to have an autopsy done. And I said, why would I want to do that? And he said, well, you know, in case you wanted to sue someone. And I said to him, who exactly is it that you think I'd like to sue for lightning striking my son? And he said, well, I guess you're right. That's kind of silly. I thought maybe you'd want to sue the town because it happened in the park. And I said to him, I think you need to go away now. I got pretty hysterical that I wanted to see him. And a nurse took pity on me and she said, we have not cleaned him up yet, but I'm going to take you in there. I just want you to know that it's not going to be pretty. And there was my son lying there, not alive anymore. And the first thing that I noticed about him was that all over his body, 
going in a direction from his right shoulder and moving downward were these tiny little purplish lines on his skin that looked exactly like lightning. This is called arborization, and it doesn't happen always to lightning victims, but often they get this pattern burned onto their skin by the electricity moving through their body. And it was horribly beautiful. It was obvious from the pattern what path the lightning took through his body, and they lifted up the sheet and showed me that 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 pattern continued down his opposite leg and, and clear down to his foot where the lightning exited. And she showed me a tiny exit wound on the foot, too. We ended up being at the hospital until probably about 3 o'clock in the morning. And I went home. It was probably 4 o'clock in the morning when I got home. And I laid down across my bed in my clothes, and I fell instantly asleep. I woke up a few hours later, I think it was around 7 a.m., and I thought, what am I supposed to do now? What are you supposed to do next after your son was struck by lightning? So I went to his room, and I found the clothes that I thought he would want to wear, and I did laundry because I could not think of anything else to do to make use of my hands. I didn't want to talk to anyone yet. I didn't want to face anyone yet. So I found his black shorts and his black silk shirt and his black tie, and I did a load of laundry. I suppose not long after that, my sister, who had been at the hospital with me, came back to my house. And she picked me up and took me to her house where my daughter had spent the night. And we sat in a nice lawn chair on the porch. And my daughter came out and sat in my lap. And she said, Mom, what's going on? Where were you all night? And I said to her, remember that big lightning that you thought hit your friend's house? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, it didn't. It hit your brother. And he died. And she looked at me with that disbelief of a nine-year-old like how could that be possible and I understood that because I was feeling my own disbelief and to this day when I say it my son was struck by lightning it's disbelief and then we started thinking about what else needed to happen my brother lived not far away but he didn't have a phone and so we went to his house and knocked on the door and when he answered it, he could tell immediately that something was very wrong. And I had to say that thing again. I had to say to him, my son is dead. He was struck by lightning. And the more I said it, the more unbelievable it sounded. One of the first things I thought of when I found out what happened to my son was, I cannot imagine any person on this earth more likely to attract a bolt of lightning than him. He was just this electric person. He was so unique. He had a genius IQ, was in gifted programs from the time he was in second grade. He had Tourette's syndrome. He walked around town wearing a long black raincoat and carrying a metal pole that he referred to as his staff. It could have been ridiculous, but he rocked it. He made it a fashion statement. Once I got home that day from the people in my family that I needed to see, I got this brilliant idea that this being the early 90s, this was pre-digital music. I got this great idea that I would make a mixtape because I just imagined how offended my son would be by recorded hymns played on an organ at his funeral home event. And so I started to gather some CDs together, and I put together a tape, which they actually played on a repeat loop the entire time we were in the funeral home. 
and it had things on it like Cypress Hill and Faith No More and Talking Heads, Beck, a lot of the music at the time that he loved, Metallica. And in between each song, I put this little cut of parts of the theme song from the video game Mortal Kombat because that was his absolute favorite game. What everybody says in a time of crisis is, is there anything I can do for you? And I remember saying to this boy, yes, in fact, there is. Do you have a Cypress Hill CD? Because I can't find his. It made these kids feel good to just come and be with me for a little while. And, and when they asked, was there something I needed, I could actually think of something to ask them for. And they could say yes and do it. And it made everyone feel like, like the world was not completely out of control. I think that's what I was looking for, was something that I could do that would make me feel not completely out of control. The whole few days following was one long period of disorientation. <laughs> How do you even know what to do next? I felt, I, I'm a person who likes to be in control, and I felt so completely out of control. I needed somebody to tell me what to do next. And it's a good thing that my one older sister was there by my side. She's the one who said, okay, the next thing that we need to do is go to the funeral home. It never occurred to me that that was my next move. The most horrible thing a parent can ever do is be asked to choose their child's casket. What would they like? Would he look good in this? How will this look with his outfit? How do you even make that choice? And I picked this beautiful, horrible casket. Everything that I was asked to do felt absolutely absurd. It's surreal. It's like a movie. It's like it's not even happening to you. It's happening to someone else. I just wanted to go back into my house and curl up in a little ball and not speak to anyone and not make any decisions and figure out how on earth I had this ridiculous dream and how I could wake up from it. There were so many things required of me over the next few days, and so many people who felt the need to be near me, um, all in a very positive way, for the most, I shouldn't say all, for the most part, in a very positive way. One of the hiccups was that when I was with the funeral director and he was walking me through gathering the information for an obituary for the newspaper, and he was asking me about family members and where did he go to school and these different questions, and he said, um, what about his father? And I said, his biological father is irrelevant. And he said, does he have a stepfather? And I said, uh, we're divorced. We've not been together for some years. And he said, oh, well, then that's something that we wouldn't put in the paper as, as listed as part of the family. And that ended up really blowing up at me. Later at the funeral home, when we were there for the first viewing, I was asked to step into a conference room, and there was my ex-husband and his mother and his siblings, and they were furious with me because I had not listed their names in his obituary in the newspaper. I wasn't even sure how to respond to that. I think I said something like, are you suggesting that I left you out of the newspaper because I wanted to use my son's death to do something mean to you? And I refused to have this conversation, and I left the room. Because they wanted to have this big confrontation about it and make my son's funeral be about them and not about him. Hey, this is Scott. Did you know we offer a premium feed of this show that is completely ad-free and there are bonus episodes? Go to whatwasthatlike.com slash plus or just click the link in the show notes of any episode to learn more and to sign up. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can sign up right there in the app by clicking Try Free at the top of the episode list. And I hope to see you in the premium feed soon. And there were hundreds and hundreds of people there, family, friends, people from town that I didn't even know. And people said just the most beautiful things. People had 
these wonderful loving feelings for my son. And I don't think they were just fake feelings that came out because he was gone. They were so raw and emotional from his peer group. It was so touching that these kids struggled, these these 10 and 11 and 15-year-old kids struggled to put their feelings into words and did such a beautiful job. And there were a hundred kids probably that I didn't recognize, kids who said to me, he was in my English class. I had a crush on him. How many girls told me they had a crush on him? It was unbelievable. This this boy who thought that no girls liked him, nobody liked him. So many girls confessed their, their little secret to me. My daughter was at the funeral home the whole time because she needed to be there with the rest of the family. I don't think she, I think she understood that her brother was dead, but didn't understand what that meant to her until after when all of the People went home and everything quieted down and it was just the two of us in the house instead of the three of us in the house. Once things quieted down, I had no idea what to do with myself. So much of my time, my life revolved around my children, not child, children. All of a sudden, I had all this time on my hands and this emptiness and didn't know how to fill that time and emptiness because the duties that used to fill them didn't exist anymore. I spent a lot of time in my son's room. I found a lot of pictures that he had drawn, little cartoony things. I found stories he had written that I had never seen, and I've kept a lot of that stuff. I found a picture of a naked woman with a boa constrictor, I found some things like that, some, some things that showed me that, that he was moving into adulthood in ways that he wasn't comfortable sharing with his mommy, and, and I had to be okay with that. I went back to work after about a week. My work folks were very kind to me, and... Um, and generous with time off and and just allowed me to ease back into things. So that was helpful that I had work to go back to and focus on. I started to get to know my daughter a little more. It seemed like she was more of a daddy's girl and my son was more my close friend. And so I really built up my relationship with my daughter in a way that it hadn't been before. I realized that I didn't know her nearly as well as I knew him. Just like his best friend, I think her life took a very different path because she lost her brother. She was then that girl whose brother got struck by lightning. That for her became an identity, not just to herself, but to others. I was the mom of that boy who got struck by lightning. I can't even just say my son died because that doesn't tell the story. My son was struck by lightning. Lightning came out of the sky and chose him and took him. <laughs> what does that mean? Does that mean I was a bad mother? There have been times when when I convinced myself that it happened because I was a bad parent. Uh, or there were times that, that I comforted myself by thinking that he was taken because he was needed elsewhere. I don't know where. I don't know how he got to this elsewhere or what his function would be there, but some other universe needed Kane McLeod, the hero. And so lightning came and took him because he was needed there. We tell ourselves stories to try to make sense of something in the world that makes no sense. For a long, long time after my son died, every day I heard the word lightning somewhere. Like, I would wait for it. When I got up in the morning, I would start listening for the word lightning, and every day I would hear it somewhere. Someone would say it. I would hear it on a weather report. I would hear it in a song. Someone would say the word lightning every day. Was that word in my life before and I just didn't notice it? Was I just more sensitive to it now, or did that word suddenly find me? I am very sensitive to people using 
a reference to being struck by lightning as as some sort of unlikely circumstance. And I have, in fact, complained sometimes to advertisers. There was a local florist who had some ad that said, oh, did you forget your significant other's birthday, anniversary, something? Well, you might as well just get struck by lightning. I just was appalled by that. And I wrote them a letter and I said, would you say in an ad you might as well just get breast cancer? Would you say you might as well just be in a horrible car accident and die? Why is it okay then to say you might as well be struck by lightning? And they were so apologetic because people just don't think of that. After his death, I received in the mail an invitation to attend a support group for parents who had lost children. Parents whose children died in an automobile accident, suicides, um, murders, horrible illnesses where the parent had to watch their child suffer for months or years before they finally passed away. My child died very suddenly and felt no pain. If he did, it was only for an instant. He didn't suffer. I didn't have to watch him suffer. I didn't have to make choices about his care that might prolong his suffering or end his life sooner. I had a friend in that group whose child was killed in a head-on collision and the other car was driven by his sister's boyfriend. When your child is murdered, you have someone to blame. When your child is hit by a drunk driver, you have someone to blame. And in my case, I thought and thought over it. I let my son spend the night at his best friend's house, which was not a wrong thing to do. He asked me for $5, and I gave it to him. The last thing I said to him was, I love you. I can't find any way to blame myself or anyone else in this, and that's, that's one silver lining that if that was the moment that my child's life had to end, I don't have to blame. I feel like I'm a completely different person than I was before. I am now, this is the thing that I feel identifies me more than anything else. The fact that I am the mother of this incredible boy who was taken by lightning. And it's strange to me that the thing that I feel identifies me the most to myself is something that most people who know me don't even know. The thing that I consider the biggest part of my identity is a secret from most of the people who work with me, who, who I see in day-to-day life except for the people closest to me. I love my husband. I have two grandchildren now. My daughter named her first child after her brother. There are some friends that I really care about, but honestly, most of the people I know, if I never saw them again, it wouldn't break my heart. I don't want to get close to too many people because I don't want to lose them. I understand that no loss of anyone else can touch this loss that I have, but I just don't want to care about people like I used to. I know that the worst thing that is ever going to happen in my life already has. When I'm having angst over something, when I'm upset about something at work, when I'm angry with someone, after that anger boils for a little while, I remember to say to myself, why are you so upset? The worst thing that is ever going to happen in your life already has in the scope of the universe of terrible things that can happen where is this little disagreement on that spectrum and it allows me to just release things when i think about why did this happen to me why did this happen to my family why did this happen to my son i have come to grips with the fact that it was his day It was his turn. I have no idea why he was taken so spectacularly, 
But it was my turn that day. It was my family's turn. It was my son's turn to die. Does this make me want to believe that there was some force involved that made this happen? Do I want to believe that if there is somebody in charge, if there's God or or whatever in charge, that they would do something like this? And I just, I can't wrap my head around that. I remain, as I was before, a person disinterested in religion. Yesterday was the anniversary of this happening. And I was awakened at 1.30 in the morning by a horrific thunder and lightning storm. And it woke my husband, too, and he was so kind. He said, oh, honey, I'm sorry on this of all days you had to be wakened by lightning. And he held my hand, and eventually we went back to sleep. Sometimes I catch myself saying out loud over and over, my son was struck by lightning. My son was struck by lightning. And it's like, I just, I still, after all these years, can't believe that that happened. And and then I say to myself, how is that possible? Are you sure? And I question myself for a minute, and I wonder if it's possible that I hallucinated this, that that I'm mentally ill, that I made it up, that, that I dreamt it. And then I go look under the bed and I see that box that has all the sympathy cards and the drawings and the poems and, and the death certificate that says cause of death electrocution and I can't get away with fooling myself that it's not real. It was our turn that day. That's the only way I can think of it. I can't make sense of it any other way. I'd like to read you a poem that he wrote. This poem is part of a packet that he did when he was in high school. And this one's called What's Cain Do? It's my favorite. Cain crushes the castle's courts and knocks down walls of all sizes and sorts. His knights fire arrows from the ports as Cain crushes the castle's courts. Cain topples the terrible towers that haven't been built for more than an hour. He stomps down the grass and all of the flowers as Cain topples the terrible towers. Cain wins the waging war. His wounds are deep and very sore. Now he feels he's evened a score because he's won the waging war. This Is Actually Happening is brought to you by me, Whit Misseldine, as well as Lisa Zaid and Ryan Black. If you love what we do, you can join the community on our official Instagram page, at Actually Happening. You can also rate and review the show on iTunes, which helps tremendously to boost visibility to a larger community of listeners. And if you want to help sustain the show for the coming years, you can contribute a small monthly donation through our Patreon page at patreon.com happening. Thank you for listening. Until next time, stay tuned. <laughs>